Thank you very much. Praise the Lord for He is good. Ah, come join in love and brotherhood. We'll hear the word and bring our gifts of bread and wine, and we'll be blessed beneath His sign. So let us pray together. Let us pray together. Pray with one mighty voice, heavenly voice, and let us sing together. Let us sing together. Pray and we'll rejoice. When strangers reach out for your hand, oh, respond to them and understand. On the storm outside the gate With faith in Him we will So let us pray together Let us pray together Pray with one mighty voice And let us sing together Let us sing together
darkness tries to roll over my bones Sorrow comes to steal the joy out Brokenness and pain are all I know But I won't be shaken I won't be shaken Cause my feet doesn't stand a chance when I Let's just focus in on you and your truth, God. 
for you do have resurrection power, Father. And so I just pray, Lord, that tonight you resurrect dreams, you resurrect destinies, God, plans in the future. And so Jesus, we lay everything before you. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name.
been an incredible joy for me to be a part of your church again. It's gone too quickly. I uh, appreciate the fellowship around the table with you, uh, time with your pastor of staff, Buddy and Gay. Buddy and Gay. Thanks for believing in me and uh, for having me back three times. Hope that's not three strikes and you're out. <laughs> um, thanks for the wonderful accommodations, the love offering. Um, I told Buddy, I said, if that much comes in, I can cancel the rest of my meetings for the rest of the year <laughs> and just stay home. <laughs> but I wouldn't do that because I, I enjoy what I do. It's a calling God placed on my life when I was 17 years old. And uh, I believe that I'm exactly where God wants me to be. So I want to thank you for all the kind remarks. And uh, by the way, it's so good to have Christy Peachy and her son Dane in the service tonight. They drove over. Where do y'all live now? Richmond. They live in Richmond. So they drove up from Richmond to be here. Her and her husband served on staff with me at Calvary Church of the Nazarene in Antioch, Tennessee, back in the 80s. And uh, what a treat to have them with us tonight. Thank you so much for coming, Christy. I appreciate it. And Daniel. Alicia does a great job, doesn't she? She is just a remarkable lady. And uh, I appreciate all that she's done to make my stay so comfortable here and the food that's been prepared under her direction and our dear brother who cooked that every night. I met him and that's great. I'm going to enjoy that after church. So uh, thanks for those who did that and the music team as always just par excellent. Appreciate that so much. We welcome all of those who are watching online tonight and uh, I appreciate that, that venue. There have been times when I've been on the road and I've needed to go to church and I've gone to church here with you for your early service before I go off to where I'm going to be preaching on a Sunday morning. So I want to thank you for that wonderful tool of ministry, the online stream. It means so much. Well, today was a special day. Uh, today was, uh, well, I'll just let you see for yourself. Gentlemen. Ring this bell three times well. I'm told to clearly say, this treatment's done. My course is run. Am I am on my way. One more. One more. Oh. A, one more that good one. one. Was a baby one, yeah. Good, oh, good, oh, good. Make it count. Want me to read it again? No, I want you to ring it again. Okay. Make it count. There you go. Isn't she good looking? And she's just a beautiful lady. I'm going home in the morning. I don't care what you say. I'm going home. Well, 
Acts chapter 4, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read a part of a prayer that was prayed by the members of the first century church. As you study scripture, you will find that it is the very first prayer prayed by the first church. We'll not read it all. If you have your Bibles, I hope you'll keep them open because we'll not have all the scripture on the screen, just this one. Because we're going to take a journey tonight through the first three, or chapters three, four, and five of the book of Acts. But let's read this as a foundation. Acts chapter four, verse 29. Remember, it's a part of a prayer. And in this part of the prayer, they are referencing the religious leaders of their day when they say, now Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Well, Father, I give you praise tonight for all that you've done during this revival meeting at Salem Fields. I think of Denny, who gave his heart to the Lord the other night. And like he told me last night, he said, I've got to go back to the rat race tomorrow, and he's not here with us tonight. But I pray that you'd surround that man with your presence. And may his newfound faith in you continue to flavor his life. I pray for those who came back to you this week, and there were some. Thank you for those who've declared that they have victory over anything the enemy might try to do in their lives. And now we've come to receive a challenge from your word because we're facing uncertain days. And we, the people of God, now know the equipment that's at our disposal, the full armor. Help us to go out and accomplish the task that is ours. Help us tonight as we share the message. I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen. I work in different sized churches every week. This is the largest church, as a matter of fact, that I will ever work. Most of the churches that I work run anywhere from 50 to 75 people. But regardless of the size of the church, we are all a part, an integral part of the church that was given birth on the day of Pentecost. And that first century church began with 120 members. Now here is the question and proposition for your consideration on this final night of the revival. What enabled that group of fearful, sometimes scattered people to be so mightily used of God? How was that first century church able to withstand all of those who so fervently opposed them. A close study of Acts chapters 3 through 5 will give us the answer. As a matter of fact, it's summed up in one word in the passage that I read in your hearing just a moment ago. It's one word, boldness. That's how they did it. Enable your servants to speak your word with great 
boldness. Now, I don't know what comes to mind when you think of church. I know that there are some people who come to church out of duty, and it feels like the longest hour of the week for those kinds of people. There are other people who come to church because it's the place they've always gone on Sunday, so they're going to be there. It's just part of their routine. They do it because they grew up going to church. And then for others, like me, church represents a place they have always gone. It's a collection of memories that help frame and shape who they are as a person and who they are spiritually. I grew up in the church, as I've often noted during my time with you. My dad pastored a church in Burlington, North Carolina called Hopedale Christian Church. He pastored that church for 19 years. And I can remember driving with my mom and dad to that church. I would sit between them in the front seat. And we'd arrive at that rural church right in the middle of tobacco farms in North Carolina. And most of the time on Sunday morning, I was supposed to sit with my mother. I might have been four or five years old, perhaps. But this particular Sunday, I'd gotten away from the watchful eye of my mother. And I was sitting on the back row with some other children about my same age. And needless to say, not being under supervision, we began to become quite a distraction back there on the back row. But while they sang the congregational music, not too many people noticed that. And then they had the choir number, and then they had the special number in song. And then my dad got up to preach, and he was a very high-energy, rapid-fire kind of a preacher. And all the while, we're sitting back there, and we're doing what kids do, picking at one another and making noises back there on the back row. And right in the middle of Dad's sermon, I mean, he was just going lickety-split through that sermon, and he did not miss a beat. But right in the middle of his sermon, he just simply said, Lane, come up here and sit with your mother, and went right on with the sermon. <laughs> Didn't miss a word. I heard about that after service was over. When my dad pastored the Pilgrim Holiness Church in Salisbury, North Carolina, we had Wednesday night prayer meeting. Some of you of my age and my generation remember Wednesday night prayer meeting. We would come. We didn't have youth programs back then. We didn't have children's programs. We all gathered in the sanctuary on one side of the sanctuary, and Dad would do it all on Wednesday night. He'd lead the congregational music, and then we'd have prayer time. After all, it was prayer meeting, so we would have prayer time, and then we'd have testimony time. And my dad wouldn't ask for spontaneous testimonies. He'd go right down the line. He'd say, Stan, give us a word of testimony, brother. And then it's the sister, Stan, give us a word of testimony. And right on down the line, people had to testify whether they had one or not. I mean, they just had to testify. And I can remember sitting on the back row with the teenagers, and we had to have a testimony. Whether you were saved or not, you had to say something. And I already had mine formulated in my mind. I knew what I was going to say. And when Dad would get with me, get to me and say, Lane, stand up back there and give us a word of testimony. I remember it to this day. I would stand up and say, I want to thank the Lord for saving me. Y'all pray I go all the way through with him. And I'd sit right down. And every teenager on the row stood up and said the exact same thing. We all had the same testimony. <laughs> I remember one Wednesday night. I wasn't sitting with the young people that particular night. I was sitting up here on the third row by myself. Been a tough day at school. And after we'd had the songs and the prayer and the testimonies, and Dad got into his sermon, I decided, good time to take a nap. So 13 years old now, and I, I just laid down on the pew and proceeded to go to sleep. And my father gets into his message. 
And he's preaching right along. And he just kind of walked over to this side of the sanctuary, walked down that outside aisle, came back to that third pew where I was lying down trying to get a good nap before I had to go back over to the house. And he walked over to that pew, reached down and grabbed me by the shirt collar. He's still preaching the whole time. I mean, he didn't miss a word of his sermon. He's still preaching. And he came over to that third row, reached down, grabbed me by the shirt collar and said, sit up and pay attention. And went right on with his sermon. I remember those times. They're funny now. They weren't then. <laughs> but I also remember those times in church as a, as a lad, just as a, a boy, when God would come. The Spirit of God would walk the aisles and the pews of the sanctuary and people would get under conviction. I can remember those proverbial white knuckles on the back of the pew people that really knew they weren't right with God and they had to get right with God. And I, I can remember people coming to the altar being broken before the Lord. And I watched that. I can remember seeing grown men weep and cross the sanctuary and begin to talk with one another. I remember one Sunday morning, I saw, I saw Brother Crooks who was sitting over here while they're having the invitation. He walked around behind the back pew and came over to this side to Mr. Upton over there. And he said something to him and Brother Crooks and Brother Upton, they went to the altar and they prayed. And after the service, was over. We had lunch that day at the parsonage and I said, hey dad, what was that deal with Brother Crooks and Brother Upton? And my dad said, well, we had board meeting last week and Brother Crooks got upset with Brother Upton and said some things that were not very nice in the board meeting and he felt condemned of that. The Holy Spirit convicted him of that spirit and that attitude and he went and asked Brother Upton to pray for him and pray with him. That's what that was all about. Those kinds of things shaped my life as a Christian and I'll never be the same as a result of that. But what I could tell as far as my background in the church is concerned and what you might be able to tell, similar stories perhaps, uh, they're all probably a far cry from what was going on in the life of the first century church like it's recorded in Acts chapters 3, 4, and 5. But fortunately for us, we have a first-hand record of what was going on in the early days of that first century church. It's told firsthand, play-by-play description by Luke the doctor. He tells us what happened in that early church, how Jesus was born, how he lived, how he ministered, how he taught, how he was arrested, how he was crucified, how he arose from the dead, how he appeared to the followers after his resurrection from the dead, and how he ascended back to the Father. And then on the day of Pentecost, how the Holy Spirit came into that upper room, into the lives of 120 disciples, and they hit the streets of Jerusalem with an abandon, and they began to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church was given birth, and 3,000 men became a part of that first century church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit empowered those disciples. They began to share the gospel. The church increased from 120 to 3,000. The population of Jerusalem was about 44,000 people at that time. And by the time Pentecost had happened and Peter had preached his sermon and things began to happen in the life of those apostles and in the life of that first century church, the population of the first century church went from 120 to 5,120, probably more in the span of two sermons and one miracle. It was amazing. And things began to happen in that first century church. Peter and John According to Acts chapter 3, one day, they did as they had done so many times before. They were going up to the temple to pray, and they come to what is called the Gate Beautiful. It's call it Solomon's Colonnade, it's called. And as they come into the temple there at uh, 
the gate beautiful. There, there is a beggar. There's no telling how many times they passed this beggar before, but this time something unbelievable happens because as they come to this beggar, try and see this in your mind. Here is this beggar and he's sitting there and he's got his hand perhaps uh, upturned like this toward Peter and John, sees them as possible contributors to his plight and he says something like this, alms, alms, alms for the poor. Alms for the poor. And Peter looked at that lame man, and this is what he said to him. He said, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, in the name of Jesus, take up your bed and walk. And Peter reached down and took hold of his hand, and as he did that, life came into his lame limbs, and that man began to walk. And he began to rejoice all over that part of the temple, and the people gathered around, and they wanted to see what was going on, what is happening here. And Peter preached a Reader's Digest version of the Pentecost message right there in the temple, and more people believed in Jesus Christ. It says in chapter 4, now here's where we follow the story now, when this happened, it says, and Chapter 4, verse 1, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John because it was evening, had them put in jail until the next day. Why? Because they performed a miracle. They were preaching the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the next day, those religious leaders have Peter and John brought before them, and they more or less put them on trial. Annas the high priest was there, verse 6. So was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? By the way, in chapters 3, 4, and 5, the phrase, the name, is mentioned at least 11 times. They were not called the church. These apostles, these disciples, the 120, the 3,000, and those who joined them were not called the church at that time. They were called followers of the way, followers of the name, the name of Jesus. By what power or what name did you do this? Now notice verse 8 because it's critical that you get this. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, by the way, the subject of this message is boldness. <coughs> boldness. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of the people, we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed. Then know this and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you completely healed. Do you know who this is saying this? Peter. You know his story. Peter is type A. <laughs> Peter is the big mouth disciple, the boasting disciple. Peter is the one who said, these other disciples may deny you. After Jesus had said, you're all going to deny knowingly. And Peter said, they might, but not me. I'll go to the dungeon for you. I'll even die for you. 
And we know what happened a few hours later. We know that he cowered outside the court of Caiaphas when they pressed him about his relationship with Jesus. And he said, I'm not one of his disciples. And he even used profanity to accent his denial. And then even after Peter saw Jesus alive on more than one occasion after the resurrection, what did he do? He went back to his fishing boat. But now, he's standing there in front of these religious leaders. He's not backing down. Something's happened. There's something different about Peter. He's not the same Peter he was before the day of Pentecost. He has been filled with the Holy Spirit. Bold people are spirit-filled people. And please hear this tonight, dear friend, and I say it kindly but emphatically. There is no way that this church or any church, there is no way that any of us can grow the kingdom of God without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We can have all of the programs and all of the good techniques and technology that's at our disposal, but unless we know the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, what we do will be minimal and short-term at best. We must know the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. They ordered Peter and John to stop speaking in this name. But the story continues. Chapter 4, verse 13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Notice this passage. They took note that they had been with Jesus. Bold people are spirit-filled people. Bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. And they had spent a lot of time with Jesus. Three and a half years with Jesus. And Jesus had taught them. He'd spoken into their spirits and into their minds that they were going to be the ones who would propagate the kingdom of God. He said, when the time comes, don't worry about what to say. My spirit will be in you and you're going to be able to say what is necessary and you're going to be responsible for building my kingdom. They could not have done what they were about to do and what they were doing now after the day of Pentecost had they not been in touch with Jesus and heard what he had to say, lived with him and got his heart and got his mind and had not had the Holy Spirit take all of that and infuse that into the way they thought and into the way they behaved, the way they lived their lives. And that all happened on the day of Pentecost and now they're speaking boldly in the name of Jesus because they had spent time with Jesus. And we cannot be effective in building the kingdom of Jesus if we don't spend time with him. It doesn't take long to find out what's important in a person's life. Just spend a few minutes with them and you'll find out what their passion is most of the time. What the big deal or who the big deal is in their life. It was very obvious in the lives of these disciples that Jesus was much on their minds and on their lips. And that's the way it will be with us. Because you see, bold people are spirit-filled people. And bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. And notice what the religious leaders said to them. It's there in verse 17. But to stop this thing from spreading any further, isn't that an interesting statement? Those religious leaders actually thought they could stop the spread of the gospel. 
To stop this thing from further, spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And notice Peter's response to that in verse 20. As for us, we cannot help speaking about which we have seen and which we have heard. And that's the way it is with the spirit-filled person. That's the way it is with the person who spent a lot of time with Jesus. I saw my new friend Monty today. The one I didn't treat so good Saturday when I arrived that I told you about. He was sitting outside on a break there at the motel. I'm not saying this to give me credit, but to give our Lord the credit. He was sitting there and I walked past him. I said, it's Monty, isn't it? He said, yes, Mr. Loman, it is. I walked through the door and I went over to the elevator to go to my room and the Holy Spirit said, Go back and talk to him. And I walked back out and I said, Monty, I said, um, I want to thank you again for your kindness to me the other day. I really enjoyed being at your motel this week. And I said, Monty, I'm a Christian. And we're supposed to be different. And I said, the other day, I wasn't. And I said, I just want to tell you that I really appreciate how gracious you've been to me. He said, that's all right, Mr. Loman. Thank you. I can remember the day I wouldn't do that. I can remember the time when I was more important than Monty. Bold people are spirit-filled people. Bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. The story continues. They released them. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. And it's very interesting to me what happens next because you would have thought Peter and John would have given thought to whether or not they're going to go back to the temple. Because you see those religious leaders, they had the power to ban Peter and John from coming into the temple to pray and offer sacrifice. And that was something that a Jewish person did not want to have happen in their life because sacrifice and prayer time at the temple was an integral part of their relationship with God. And so... You might have thought that once they had been warned, don't come back in here with this message about Jesus and this resurrection, don't speak in his name anymore. You might have thought that they'd have looked at one another and said, maybe we need to go back and, and form a committee and we need to come up with another way to do this. Maybe you ought to go outside of the temple and outside of the walls of Jerusalem. Maybe you ought to go out into the suburbs and let's try, just preach the gospel out there. It's less threatening. But notice what they did. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them, verse 24, chapter 4. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. They didn't form a committee. They didn't try to come up with another method of sharing the gospel. They prayed. And you can read the prayer there for yourself. I, I just read a portion of it early on. Bold people are spirit-filled people. Bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. And bold people are praying people. 
You see, there is no way that we can effectively know the leadership of the Holy Spirit if we're not praying, people. If we don't spend time personally praying for God's direction in our lives. Now consider their threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Let's think about prayer just for a minute. Just for a minute, let's think about the way that we pray. What are most of our prayers? How do we pray most of the time? We pray a lot of bless me prayers? Sure. Lord, bless me. There's nothing wrong with that because Jabez in the Old Testament, he asked the Lord to bless him and enlarge his coast. So there's nothing scripturally wrong with asking God to bless us. A lot of our prayers are keep me prayers. And that's all right too. I can't tell you the times I've prayed over the last several weeks or keep my wife on the road from from Columbus, Indiana, up to Greenwood, Indiana. Keep her safe on that interstate. There's crazies out there. Keep her safe. I pray that God will keep our grandchildren and our children. Nothing wrong with praying those keep me prayers. A lot of our prayers are heal me prayers. And that's okay too. Because we have loved ones who are sick. And we are told to pray for one another. In that regard. But I wonder what would happen if we would just, for a specified time, if we would just take all of our bless me, keep me, help me prayers, heal me prayers, if we would just kind of package them up just for just a, a little while and put them off to the side and just pray this one prayer Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. When I started studying this passage, I lived in it for over a month. And this is what came out of it. And it dawned on me one day that in all of my years in ministry, up until about four or five years ago now, I could never remember praying for boldness. I prayed for a lot of other things. I'd prayed for anointing when I preach. I'd prayed for conviction on the congregation when they heard the sermon. I prayed for a lot of things in the religious context, in the Christian context, but personally, I can't ever remember saying, Lord, would you enable me to speak your word with great boldness, not just on a platform like this, but out there in that real world where people need to hear the gospel. I wonder what would happen in our lives personally and in the church corporately if we just, just for a little while just said, okay, this week, this week, we're going to concentrate on this prayer. We're going to pray, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. I wonder what would happen. Only God knows the answer to that. They prayed. I wonder if that first century church would have even made it out of the first century had they not prayed the prayer. Because you track their history and you will discover that the members of that first century church, many of them died by the sword. Many of them died in horrible ways. I, I read and saw a movie not too long ago called Paul the Apostle. If you get the chance, watch it. It's a great historical, scriptural documentation of the Apostle Paul's imprisonment. And under Nero, they would literally take Christians and they would put tar on them and hang them on poles in the streets in Rome and they would burn them for lanterns and for lights. But yet they prayed for boldness. Boldness. 
story continues. Persecution ramps up. The excitement and growth of the church continues in spite of it. Peter and John had been arrested, but now all 12 of the apostles are arrested. Chapter 5, verse 17. Then the high priest and all of his associates and who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and had them put in public jail. This is where the story really gets fascinating. But during the night, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the door. And brought them out. And the angel said to them, Go, stand in the temple courts. They'd been told not to come there again. Go, stand in the temple courts. The next morning, the Sanhedrin is gathered. These religious leaders have gathered to bring the apostles to trial. And somebody comes up to them and says, those men we put in jail, they're not there. And another guy opens up and says, they're in the temple. And they're teaching the people. And so the captain of the guard and some of his soldiers, they are instructed to go into the temple and apprehend the disciples, these apostles. This is where it becomes very humorous to me. I see these these soldiers come into the temple and here are the apostles over here and the people have gathered around them and they're speaking in the name of Jesus. They're talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and the captain of the guard tries to get their attention. Excuse me. Excuse me, you. And one of the apostles sees him. Yes, sir. What can we do for you? And that captain says, would you gentlemen mind arresting yourselves? That's what it says. It's right there. They did not use force because they feared that the people would stone them. And so the apostles are brought from the temple in front of the Sanhedrin. Apostles were brought in, chapter 5, verse 27, and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, yet you filled Jerusalem with your teaching, determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. But notice what happens next. Notice the response of Peter and, and the apostles. Verse 29, we must obey God rather than human beings. Bold people are spirit-filled people. Bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. Bold people are praying people. Bold people are obedient people. We must obey God rather than human beings. We are witnesses. Verse 32, we're witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Here you have the epicenter of Jewish authority facing down apostles who, for the most part, are unlearned and ordinary men. A man by the name of Gamaliel steps forward. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And he warns the religious leaders. This is what he says. He says, gentlemen, do you remember Thutis 
And do you remember Judas the Galilean? Do you remember how they tried to change things in our system of governing? How we take the census and how we take up taxes? Do you remember how they were killed in the process of their efforts? In this present case, he says, chapter 5, verse 38, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. And it says there that his speech persuaded them. But then notice what happens next. I've never seen this before. It says, after he said that, his speech persuaded them that we're going to let the apostles go. And then it says, they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Do you understand flogged? If they did it in the Roman style, it was what they call a cat of nine tails. Leather straps with pieces of pottery and stone and metal embedded into the straps. And if they did it according to the way they did it with prisoners, it was 39 times for each apostle. They stood in line to be beaten in order to be released so that they could return to the streets and be bold in their faith. Chapter 5, verse 41, the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Now here it is, verse 42. Day after day, in the temple courts, they will not be dissuaded. They've been told, don't bring that message in here, but in the temple courts. And then they added a new dimension to their boldness. From house to house. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Bold people are spirit-filled people. Bold people spend a lot of time with Jesus. Bold people are praying people. Bold people or obedient people, and bold people practice being bold. It's a part of their spiritual DNA. You say, Elaine, that's interesting, but how does it relate to a 21st century church like this one? To me, living in a world like ours. I want to give you three points of application, each with a story, and then we'll be through. But let me give you a precautionary warning regarding boldness if you're a Christian. Do not endeavor to practice boldness until you're empowered with the Holy Spirit. Until you've come and you prayed, oh God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Don't try to go out and practice being bold to a world like ours because if you do, you'll end up operating in the flesh and you'll end up becoming discouraged and disillusioned. Don't endeavor to be bold if you don't spend time with Jesus because if you don't spend time with Jesus and you go out there and you try to be bold for him, then you'll end up maybe misrepresenting him. And there are thousands that have done that. Don't endeavor to be bold if you don't have a consistent prayer life.
Because if you don't have a consistent prayer life, you will not have developed spiritually to where you can hear the voice of God and hear the leadership of the Holy Spirit as he guides you and shows you how you are to be bold. Don't endeavor to be bold if you're not living a life of total obedience. Because if you're trying to be bold and you're not totally obedient to the teachings of the Word of God and what Jesus has told us to be, then the people will automatically see the duplicity in your life. You won't be able to fool them. First point of application. Being bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. It's awfully easy to say nothing about our faith, isn't it? I mean, we live in a politically correct society, and we don't want to offend anybody, and we're told, don't, don't come on too strong with your, your Christianity. It's all right that you're a Christian, but don't be too bold with it because we live in a cosmopolitan society, and there's so many religions out there now, we don't want to offend anybody, so don't be bold about that. But being bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. My wife and I were traveling from Columbus, Indiana, where we lived, to Wellsburg, West Virginia. One day, Pentecost Sunday, the Church of the Nazarene, we were running ahead of schedule. And I knew that just before you get into the state of West Virginia, on Interstate 70, there's what they call the Ohio Valley Mall. I said to Gretchen, I said, let's stop and have an early dinner and just stretch our legs. There's a big mall there. Maybe we can go walk around in the mall for a while. She said, yeah, let's do that. So we stopped. We had dinner, and then we went into the mall. And as I walked into the mall, there was this huge, I don't remember what kind it was, but a huge department store. And in one section of that department store on the main floor, there were all of these sale racks. It was the end of the summer, and they were selling summer merchandise at reduced prices. And I saw those sale racks, and I looked at Gretchen, and I said, I'm going to go in here. Might be able to find some Christmas gifts, save us some money. She said, I'm going to go buy a purse. <laughs> and my wife, she watches her money. She doesn't throw it away. She's very conservative when it comes to her money. But she has a weakness for purses. <laughs> she just likes a nice purse. I said, all right. I'll come find you or I'll be here. And about 30 minutes later, she walks back into that department store, and she's got a sack in her hand. And I said, did you find a purse? She said, I did. I've watched her when she shopped for purses. She's a prolific purse shopper. She's good at it. I've seen her go into a shop where they've got purses, and she'll see one that she likes, and she'll go over there, and she'll take it off the hanger or off the shelf. And then if it's got a strap, and she wants a strap, if it's got a strap, she'll slide her arm through that strap and hang it on her shoulder and stand in front of the mirror and do this number. <laughs> Just to see how it looks. And then she'll go down inside of it, make sure it's got enough pockets, compartments for all her stuff. I said, did you find a purse? She said, I did. I said, good. She said, well, you're going to have to go back with me to that store where I bought it. I said, why? She said, well, when I walked up to pay for the purse, the young lady who had been waiting on me, when I gave her our zip code, she immediately responded, you're not from around here, are you? And she said, I said to her, no, we're not. My husband and I are on our way over to Wellsburg, West Virginia. We're going to be speaking and ministering, singing at a church over there. She said, well, my dad's a preacher. Maybe I could come and hear you tomorrow. 
And Gretchen said, I didn't know how to tell her how to get there. So you're going to have to go with me to the store. So I went with her back into the mall and up to that store. And there was a beautiful young lady by the name of Sarah. And so we began to talk about the possibility of her coming to hear us the next morning because Wellsburg was all oh, maybe 45 minutes away from that mall. And so uh, as we were talking about this, a handsome young man came from a kiosk out in the mall area that he ran and he walked up and he joined the conversation, happened to be Sarah's boyfriend, name was Derek. So we talked with him for a while. I gave him the website of the church and the phone numbers and some simple directions on how to get there. And they said, well, we may just see you tomorrow. I said, well, that'd be wonderful. We'd love to have you. And then Gretchen and I left. And we were walking out of the mall. And I looked at Gretchen. I said, wouldn't it be neat if they came tomorrow? But you know, they're young people in their early 20s. And we don't know where they live. They may live an hour that way. And Wellsburg is 45 minutes that way. And it'd be a pretty long commute for them if they came. Nice thought, but they probably won't be there. We'd sung our songs the next morning. I was maybe five minutes into my sermon and I looked up and in the door walked that young lady and her boyfriend, Derek. They sat down on the back row. She edged up on the front of her seat. She didn't take her eyes off of me the whole time. And when I gave the invitation that morning, the first one to their feet was that young lady. And she came to the altar. And it wasn't long until Derek followed her to the altar and stood behind her as she prayed. Gretchen was sitting over here, and I walked over. I said, Gretchen, she didn't see him come in. I said, Gretchen, Derek can see her here. They're over there at the altar. She immediately got up and went over and began to pray with them. And it was wonderful. I, I don't know why she came that morning, but then I looked at her as she finished praying. I said, Sarah, did the Lord meet your need today? She said, oh, yes. Oh, yes, he met my need today. Uh, that would have never happened if when Sarah had asked my wife or said to my wife, you're not from around here, are you? If she had just simply said, no, we're passing through. We're passing through. Just stop for lunch or dinner, shopping. Being bold is deciding to say something when it would be easier to say nothing. Second point of application. Being bold is taking advantage of opportunities to be bold. And they're out there. If if we spend time with Jesus, if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, if we're praying people, our spiritual antennas are up. If we're obedient people, then we, we're looking, we're watching for that opportunity to, to share the love of God with somebody. I love a story that I heard from Andy Stanley. We all know that name if you've been around the church for a little while. He's the son of Dr. Charles Stanley, has a church in Atlanta, Georgia. And I heard him tell this story. He said, one day I felt impressed of the Holy Spirit to go to the Bible bookstore and buy the young lady lady who's cut my hair a Bible. He said, I knew she wasn't a Christian. So I, I felt impressed to buy her a Bible. And he said, I took that Bible into the salon where she cut hair, where I would go to have my hair cut. And he said, I just walked up. She was waiting on a lady that was sitting in her chair. And, and he said, uh, Missy, her name was Missy. He said, Missy, I just felt impressed to buy you this Bible. And he said, I handed it to her and she thanked me. And he said, then I heard what happened later on. He said that after she took that Bible and I left, the lady in the chair said, who was that? Oh, that's uh, the pastor of a church here in town. I cut his hair. Uh, did he just buy you a Bible? She had, yeah, he bought me a Bible. And the lady said, do you know anything about the Bible, Missy? She said, no, I don't know a whole lot about the Bible. And the lady in the chair said, let me have that Bible. I'll just go through the Bible and I'll mark some places where you should read. Since you don't know a whole lot about the Bible and when you have time, you just read those places in the Bible. And she began to put 
paper markers in the Bible. So Missy could read those significant places in the Bible. And she just laid that Bible there on the counter in front of the chair. Well, the next lady that was in the chair, whose hair Missy cut, was an elderly saint of God. And she sat down in that chair, and as she was having her hair done, she looked there on the counter, saw that Bible, and said, Missy, is that Bible yours? She said, yes, it is. She said, preacher whose hair I cut brought it in a while ago, and the lady in front of you whose hair I cut just before you got here, she went through the Bible. Since I don't know anything about the Bible, she said that she would mark some places that I should read before I really get into the Bible. And that elderly saint of God said, hand me that Bible. I'll just read them to you while you're doing my hair. And she started, started reading started reading the Bible to Missy as her hair was being done. And by the time that lady was done reading the Bible and Missy had finished cutting her hair, that young lady was under conviction and she was weeping. And that lady said, Missy, you're not a Christian, are you? She said, no, I'm not. Would you like to be? Yes, I would. And so took her into a storage room and that young lady gave her heart to the Lord. Uh, you see, that's taking advantage of opportunities to be bold. Wow, what a story. Finally, being bold is creating opportunities to be bold. Now, that's the hard part. That's the hard one for most of us because we're all wired differently. We're not the same. Some of us are that tape A personality. We can just come up and start a conversation and talk with anybody, perfect strangers. We could talk to the wall and be happy. We're just that way. We don't have any problem talking. It's just part of who we are. It's our personality. Then others of us, we're just the opposite. It's very difficult for us to start up a conversation or to be open and transparent with anybody. We're all just different that way, different personalities, different gifts and graces. But being bold is creating opportunities to be bold. I went with my mom and my dad to a camp meeting just out of high school. Bonnie Holiness camp meeting, Southern Illinois, one of the men who comes here. He grew up going to that camp meeting along with his mother and grandmother. And we talked about that the other night. I was um, 18 years old, getting ready to go off to Bible college. And so I was going to go with my mom and dad to that camp meeting out in Southern Illinois. And my dad called the leadership of the camp and said, my son's going to go into Bible college. He's studying with the ministry. Do you need counselors? And they did. And so they hired me to be a youth counselor during that camp meeting with the youth program. So I got there and I was working with the young people. And one night, Dr. John Sutherland Logan, an evangelist from Scotland, was one of the preachers. And he was preaching that night. And we stood to sing the invitation song and I'm over here on this side of the tabernacle with the young people. And I just happened to look up from the songbook while we were singing. And I saw my mom, who was sitting over there, slowly walk to the altar. I thought to myself, what's she doing going to the altar? If there's anybody that loves God in this place, it's my mom. If there's anybody who knows what it is to follow the Lord, it's my mom. My dad told the story. He said that night, about midnight, he said, well, I was just lying in bed thinking about the services and praying. And he said, I didn't realize that Elizabeth, my mom, was awake. And dad said, she spoke and said, Harold, I suppose you wonder why I went to the altar tonight. And dad said, well, as a matter of fact, I did. 
She said, Harold, do you realize that our home in Briarwood Terrace, a housing development about four miles outside of Salisbury, North Carolina, out in the country? She said, do you realize that our home in Briarwood Terrace was one of the first homes built in that housing development? And since we've lived there, there have been 38 more homes built in that community. And she said, I went to the altar tonight because the Holy Spirit revealed to me that I had not knocked on one of my neighbor's doors. I had not spoken to one of my neighbors about whether or not they knew Jesus or whether they went to church. And she said, I decided that I was going to see that was changed. And I went to the altar to ask me, to ask him to forgive me and to ask him to help me change that. That camp meeting ended. We went back to North Carolina. I went off to Bible college. My dad was in commuting distance in a revival meeting. Several, it's been a couple of months now since the camp. and He came in one night. Mother normally didn't wait up on my dad because I had a younger brother who was still in school and they'd go to bed early. But this particular night, my mother was waiting up when dad came in from his revival meeting. And my mother was sitting in her seat there in the den, her chair, and he walked around the corner and saw my mom sitting there and said, Elizabeth, what are you doing up at this hour? She said, I stayed up for a reason tonight, Harold. He said, why? What's the reason? She said, I accomplished my purpose today. He said, what purpose? She said, I knocked on the last door of the last house in Briarwood Terrace. And there's not a family in this community that doesn't know I care about them. Dad said he'd forgotten about that conversation they'd had at the camp meeting. And my mom had started with the little neighbor girl. Just lived next door, right across that side street. Her name was Shannon. She might have been seven years old. And my mother befriended Shannon. Shannon would come to our house. She loved my mom. I could come in out of, from Bible college and I'd come in the kitchen and I'd see Shannon standing by my mother. On, she'd be standing on a stool and she's helping mother do dishes. Shannon didn't call my mother by her name Elizabeth or Miss Elizabeth or Miss Loman or Sister Loman. She just called my mother Loman. <laughs> she'd come and knock on the door and she'd say, Loman, Loman, are you in there? And my mother would let Shannon come in spend time with Shannon, won her way into her heart and in the life of her family. That's where she started. I remember coming in one day from Bible college for a weekend visit. Mother Norma was in the kitchen getting things ready for the next meal or to be sitting in the den reading her Bible or doing some housework, something like that. This particular day I came in and Dad was in his recliner. Mother was nowhere to be seen. And I said, hey, Dad, where, where's Mom? He said, ah, oh, she's out working the streets. <laughs> well, maybe he didn't say just that, but he said something like that. And I'd walk out on the front porch and I'd look down the street. Here comes my mom coming up the middle of the street. Not a lot of traffic out there in the country. Coming up the middle of the street of that community with a gaggle of kids around her. Still got her apron on, little cotton print dress, her little French twists. She weighed 98 pounds soaking wet. She might be singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. 
She might be telling him a familiar Bible story out of the Bible. I can remember being, being at home one time and I'm sitting there in the den and here come these kids rushing the house. And they come clamoring up on the front porch just like little Shannon. They were saying, Loman, you in there? You got any Kool-Aid? Hey, Loman, you got any cookies? And her mother had Kool-Aid and cookies. She'd invite them in and she'd sit them around the dining room table and give them Kool-Aid and cookies and sit there and talk to them about Jesus and love on them. I was there one weekend and I remember the phone rang. It was the young mother across the street. And she said, son, I've got to go over there. She needs me right now. She was in just a stressful situation. I found out later and she needed my mom to help pray for her. My dad and my mom died the same year. Dad in February, mother in November. Born the same year, 1917. Died the same year, the year 2000. So when we had mom's memorial service that November night at the Wesleyan Church in Salisbury, we are going to have the viewing and the service the same night. We had it on Wednesday night, which was appropriate. Mother would have been there. <laughs> she would have been there. <laughs> mom was down front. My brothers, my sister, and our families were situated at the back of the sanctuary. People would come down the outside aisle and come around and they'd pay their respects to my mom and then up this outside aisle over here and come around and greet us. And some would come into the sanctuary and take their seat waiting for the service to begin or others would just leave, which was okay. I was standing back there and in the door over there walked Shannon. Now, Shannon, about 17 years old. She was holding tightly to the arm of her mother as they walked down that outside aisle over there. I don't think I've ever seen a teenager weep like that young lady cried that night. And they stopped halfway down the aisle and I just watched her. And she looked down and she saw my mom in that casket. It was, her body language was just, it was like she can't be there. Not Loman. She can't be there. She couldn't bring herself to come down and look at my mom in the casket. She looked at her from a distance, then turned around and went out into the darkness with her mother. Young couples would walk by my mom, pay their respects with children in hand. I don't remember how many. Some would stop and say, I want to thank you for your mom because I know Jesus because you're your mom. Your mom told me about Jesus. Your mom came into my house. Your mom loved me, cared about me. She had a ninth grade education. Didn't drive a car. But my mama was bold. I'm not telling you you have to be like my mom. But I'll tell you why she was bold. She was spirit-filled. She spent a lot of time with Jesus. She knew how to pray. She was obedient without question. And she practiced being bold in her everyday life. It's an interesting prayer. If I were to ask you to pray that prayer in unison with me tonight, that 
that first century church prayed, it would have been an easy thing to do. Because this is how we do it. Just like they did it. Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And we could all say that in unison tonight and feel pretty good about ourselves. But I want to take it to a different level in closing. I wonder how many of you would be willing to get up out of your seat, come down here, stand, kneel, posture doesn't matter, and pray it like this. Lord, enable me. Enable me to speak your word with great boldness. Father, we're part of a great church. This is a great church. And I believe you want to do great things through us. I pray that we would be willing to take the challenge tonight and mirror the boldness of that first century church. Lord, enable me. Lord, enable me to speak your word.
Well, there's one thing I learned about myself tonight. I'm a wimp. <laughs> and I ask the Lord to enable me to speak his word with boldness. And to share, not, not here. It's easy to speak it with boldness here. It's more difficult out there. You know, because I can get up here and I can speak his word with boldness. So, thanks, Lane. That was a great message. Thank you. So I think that um, maybe, I know it's late, this is the last night, and we're not going to leave here until we get $6,000, <laughs> because I told Lane, he's just going to have to stay another night if we, if we don't get it tonight. But anyway, I thought it'd be good if maybe Gay could pray for us. How about this? How about somebody just stand and share a word of testimony about the week? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> somebody like to do that? Oh, you will? Oh, here we go, Chris. So much of it is hit home just because I'm kind of on that journey, like all of us. And in some way, I'm oh, sorry. I think you need that. You don't need that. Yeah. I don't need that. No, I don't. <laughs> um, we're all on a journey together. We're all on different steps along the way. Um, some of this, you know, I've heard a lot. Some of it I'm practicing. Some of it I need a lot more practice at. I still have areas of my life that I have to really turn over to the Lord. Um, and I do take opportunities, you know, some of, again, some of these things I do, but I love the challenge of being bold. This is a culture that makes it, if not scary, uncomfortable. And who are we to be uncomfortable when Christians 2,000 years ago were nightlights, you know, hanging up on the, the pillars? So I just encourage you. To, please, to learn to please God more than to please men. And that's kind of the big takeaway here. Anyone else? I'm Paul Beale's mom. I'm an outspoken person. But I just want to share really a miracle. In 2012, my husband had a knee replacement done. Everything went great. But in January, he took a little tumble in the garage and didn't break anything. Everything was fine with his knee. But unfortunately, an infection set in. He went for rehab prior to the infection. We, we didn't know anything about the infection, but he went to rehab and he worked hard for two weeks. And I kept saying, you know, something's not right. So we took went back to the doctor that did the procedure and he said well what do you want me to do about it nothing's broke so we went to another orthopedic doctor and uh, nobody wants to touch you if they didn't do the procedure so he sent us to vcu to a wonderful uh, this guy's got to be a christian wonderful surgeon so he went in and took everything out of jimmy's knee only had a spacer in there. So my husband hasn't walked in about eight months. Um, God used me to take care of him. His upper body strength was great, but he was confined to a wheelchair. And I'm here to tell you that God is good because he had 41 staples taken out of his knee this is the third time that this knee has been 
cut open. And I asked the doctor, I said, can I put vitamin E? He said, you can put A, B, C, Neosporin, I don't care. And, and uh, he still had the same incision, you know, so he just followed the line, you know. And, uh, but everything has come out great. My husband had no pain. He did end up in ICU, and Paul was a trooper. He stayed right there with me during the surgery. He stayed in uh, recovery for seven hours, and then they put him in ICU because his blood pressure dropped. But he walked 25 feet, and he is in rehab now. Um, we had to do a little talking, but we got two extra days for him to stay in rehab. But I just want you to know the power of God. And, uh, and it's a really a miracle that, you know, he's up and his spirits are good and he has no pain from his knee. And, and I just wanted to share that, you know, if somebody's down, you, you just, you never know, you know, that God can use you. Thank you. One more. Oh, man, she's ready to go. I'd, I'd have been in trouble if I had left before she... <laughs> Hi, um, I'm new. I don't really know anyone, but I just want to say that um, I can't look at you because I'm going to lose it, but um, I'm new. We recently got married. I've been in Richmond for 20 years, and um, I knew that it would be hard to transition from a church that I was really involved with, um, leading Bible studies, music, friends for a long time, been through a lot there, and I knew it would be hard, but it's been a lot harder. I'm from teaching at a private school, too, and Mountain View, which is huge, it's great, but a different, different church where I haven't had a chance to be plugged in, so I haven't got to know anyone. And when I came in on Monday, I knew that I needed to come. I was feeling so lost, just alone out there. Um, and I thought I would just come Monday and that would be it. And on Monday and Tuesday, saw me crying in the back listening because I was just so lost. And tonight I was crying because I found my joy again. Um, so this whole time, I just want to say thank you. It was right on time, and um, it's just nice to remember that the song you sang, you know, he, um, whatever transitions happen, life changes all the time. He is the only thing that's constant, and he is always caring for us, and he never changed, and I just remembered that being here, and I just want to say thank you. <laughs> Anybody else just burning? I mean, it's just burning. Okay. Oh, did you? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> did anybody raise their hand? Okay. All right. Well, um, it's been really good. Lane, thank you so much. Yep. And, um, yeah, why don't you say something? <laughs> yeah. So it was really good to have y'all here this week. Honestly, I appreciate uh, the fact that God has moved in. Let's take. Let's not allow what uh, has happened in our hearts this week to allow the enemy to steal that from us. You know, our mission is to share real hope with anyone uh, everywhere, and that takes boldness. Uh, but I, we really believe that's what God has called us to do as a church. This church was planted here on this hill. Not this wasn't the beginning of the church, but when we built this church here on this little knoll. God put it on our hearts that we're supposed to reach every person in Spotsylvania County and the surrounding area that do not know Jesus. Now, we've touched a lot of people's lives, but there's still a lot of people out there that need to know about Christ. And it's going to take boldness on my part and on Gay's part and all of our part to reach this community for Christ. And I don't know what that may take and how that may, be, how that may look because it's a new day and a new time from 23 years ago 
but God's not changed his mind about what he wants Salem Fields to do. So let's be about the Father's business, and let's take a big offering because we need, we got $4,000, and uh, we need $2,000 more. Let's just do the best we can. How about that? Does that work? Let's just do the best we can. Okay, will you pray for us? God, you've changed us. Father, I thank you so much that as we've come together in your name, that we've heard from you. And Father, as we bring this revival 2018 to a close, certainly your work is just beginning in us. And so, Father, I pray that you will continue to uh, speak to our hearts. I pray that we would be people that would spend a lot of time with you, Jesus, learn to know you, as you know us, that we would focus on, on uh, living the kind of relationships that you've called us to live with God and with ourselves and with others. Father, that marriages would uh, just flourish. Father, that homes would be healthy, that children would know Jesus and faith and not just rules and things that we're supposed to do as Christians, but truly know you, Jesus. And Father, I thank you so much for Lane. I thank you for uh, his life, for his heritage. But Lord, we also know that it's by the Spirit of the Lord that we're changed. I thank you for the Spirit that we see in him and the Spirit that's available to every single one of us, Lord. Yes, I pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit as we surrender to you. And as Buddy spoke, Lord, that we would be bold, that this would just begin a fresh new place um, uh, for Salem Fields, for us as your children. And Lord, uh, as we leave this place, that we would not forget what you've done in our hearts, how you've spoken to us. And Lord, that we would allow your spirit to continue to grow us, to speak to us, to convict us, to change us. But most of all, Lord, that we would not only take the opportunities that we see around us to be bold, but we would create opportunities to be bold as well. I pray, Lord, that each one of us take seriously that we obey your word, that we obey you, that we enter into that relationship with you that grows and flourishes. And so, Lord, it's always hard to leave a place where we've gathered like this and we sense your presence so very real. We have to go back out into a world that seems to be hostile, but your presence is no less out there than it is right here. And so, Father, I pray that we'll be ever mindful of that, to know that you're with us, you never leave us nor forsake us, and we can call on you in, at any moment, and you're there available to us. And so, Father, once again, we kind of, I kind of tarry in this moment because your presence is so sweet. But you have equipped us, and we are yours. Father, may we be bold in you. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let me just say one thing before we take that. Michael, how much trouble will it be to sing that Amazing Grace song? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's got Amazing Grace. Oh, you already got your tape back? If it, if it, no. Huh? Acapella, okay, cool. So why don't you do that while we take the offering? <laughs>
But let me tell you why this offering is $6,000. You know, we're just doing our best. But you heard Lane say he ministers in churches usually 75 to 100. We gave him a check Sunday. He just said, here's, here's a down payment on the $6,000. We gave him a check for $1,000. And you know what? He said today something like, that's more than I get anywhere I go. And to get an opportunity to come here, just think how we can bless his family because we are a larger church and we can bless his family. This is his living. This is what he does everything with is this. That's why that offering is so important to Gay and I. And um, so, that, you know, let's just do our best, okay? Love you guys and let's, uh, we're going to listen to Michael and, and maybe participate or whatever. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, oh, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. When we've been there ten thousand years, bright shining as the sun, we've days to sing God's praise than when when we first begun amazing grace oh how sweet the sound that saved a wretch I see was blind.